Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. Today we want to talk about a recent email on the Swift dev mailing list from Graydon Hoare, who um, has worked a lot on the Rust programming language and now works uh, on the Swift programming language. And uh, so he's been doing some work recently that uh, involves tracking and improving Swift's compilation performance. Uh, and so he sent out an email outlining uh, a number of recent activities that have been happening. And we just wanted to uh, bring light to that and, and discuss it here. Yeah, this has been one of the the pain points of Swift development, I think. Um, massively improving uh, over the past couple of years. Um, I think still a decent amount of work ahead, but um, there's definitely been tons of progress. And um, as Graydon points out in this email, there's actually quite a bit of work being done, not only to address the issues, but also uh, provide the tools to uh, to measure performance as well and, and find even more areas where that, that can be tweaked uh, and improved. Yeah, and just the fact that this is being uh, so highly prioritized is... Uh, Good sign. Yeah, it's <laughs> a great sign. And it shows that, um, you know, Apple listens uh, to, to people who are complaining about this. And honestly, they're probably going, if they haven't already, they're probably going to start feeling the pain of this themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, although, like you said, it really has improved over the last few years. But there's still uh, a lot of individual cases that just drive com- compilation performance way, way down. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're more kind of isolated cases, but they still happen a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see that uh, there's a lot of work happening in this space. Yeah. One of the first thing that first things that he points out in the email is uh, this performance doc, uh, which is in the main Swift repo. Um, under the docs directory. And he kind of lays out everything that he, he can think of about compiler performance. Uh, he has this nice table of contents, has all these different sections um, about the different processes that are involved and the different compilation modes that are involved, um, kind of the performance characteristics of those things um, and known areas that are problematic in the compiler. Yeah, so this is probably most useful to um, compiler contributors who are looking for ways in which to improve the current state of things or want to um, find ways how to diagnose compilation performance problems. Um, there's like an instruments.app tutorial in here. Yeah. So it um, it really goes into detail, but it's it's mostly useful, I think, to people who want to contribute to the compiler. Uh, there's definitely, uh, there's so much good information here and it goes like super in depth about how to uh, not only like diagnose uh, uh, and find uh, performance issues uh, but even how to go about fixing them Uh, there's even a a section on how to use git bisect uh, to like actually if you notice a regression to uh, you know find the exact revision that uh, introduced that 
Um, so it's extremely thorough. I have a hard time seeing kind of more outside contributors really diving into this uh, if you're not super familiar with uh, the code or just like the project in general. Um, and if you're not working on it daily, um, but it's still good to have this here. Yeah, but if you're an external person, even if you've never contributed to the compiler, I think uh, this is approachable enough that a motivated individual can follow it without sure um, without you know further training sure necessarily. sure. Uh, so if you happen to stumble across a file that identifies a performance a compiler performance regression, so not the performance of the Swift code that's generated of the running Swift program, but rather exactly. the time that it takes to compile. Your, your Swift files or uh, the size of the resulting binary. Mm-hmm. Then you can follow these steps and it's probably going to take you some time to to really get everything set up and to do it, but it's it's not um, so unapproachable. It's just that it's time consuming. The same thing for right. people who work on this on a regular basis. There's no magic bullet. If there were, right. it'd be a lot easier to to fix these things as they happen, but there's some effort involved, whether you're inside or outside Apple to do this for sure. kind of stuff. For sure. Yeah, so very useful document. Uh, if you find yourself um, having a project, especially with a re- performance regression of your compile times, uh, then please do um, try following these steps because um, that's probably the best thing that that the uh, Swift folks at Apple can use is like concrete examples with straightforward to reproduce steps. And then if you can highlight an issue there, then it's a lot more likely to get fixed. Yeah, for sure. The next thing that uh, he mentions, which I think this has been discussed before, is uh, the Swift CI support for performance testing. Uh, So on a pull request, and if you're a contributor or if you've just been uh, kind of browsing around the repos, you've probably seen people on the the Swift team say, you know, Swift CI, please test. Um, And then this bot runs uh, different tests uh, on the PR. There's a uh, Swift CI, please test compiler performance. Um, as well as a smoke test option, which would be um, uh, a shorter test suite uh, that you could run, you know, for for smaller changes or just to get a rough idea of yeah. of the the impact. We talked about this um, in a recent show where we were talking about the uh, Swift compatibility suite um, repository, and yeah. so these. Perf- uh, compiler performance CI jobs leverage the source compatibility test suite. Um, and so the smoke test just runs uh, the the three projects that are currently in the in the perf JSON file. So Alamo Fire, Kingfisher, and Reactive Cocoa. Uh, and apparently if you run the full test, so not the smoke test, but the full performance test, um, it'll run all the projects that uh, are in are in that repo. Um, so if you've contributed, and I think last we looked, there were like 55 projects in that repo. Yeah. So it'll it'll compile through all of those. So that's why it probably takes a very long time to run. Right. Although, like we discussed uh, before, a lot of these projects are being marked as failing, right? So those presumably would not be run. I'm not uh, sure in this case. Okay. They they might be run. The the um, projects in the compatibility suite that are marked at, as expected failures mm-hmm. are still, I think, compiled to make sure that they're still generating the expected failure. I see. Um, 
Otherwise, I forget what the term is for this, but maybe there's like an unexpected success, mm-hmm. um, as, which which causes a failure, right? Like if something is marked to fail, but it doesn't fail, mm-hmm. that is a failure of that test. Right. <laughs> Sorry right. for all the double negatives yeah. in there. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure. I would hope that those XFail projects are still uh, being compiled in as part of this full compilation performance test. Yeah, but if you, let's say, something that fails to compile, if it seg faults like almost immediately because of some issue, then you're not getting much value out of a performance test. No, today. certainly yeah. not. Uh, in any case, uh, there's still uh, a plethora of projects there to test. So, mm-hmm. um, And hopefully this, this tests not just the compile time changes, but also the binary size. Right. Next up is a segment on um, on how performance is being measured by the compiler and some improvements uh, that are happening there. Um, so there was a compiler flag that was introduced earlier in 2017 uh, called stats output dir for directory, um, which emits a bunch of JSON files with lots of statistics, timers that um, track internally where the compiler is spending its time when it's compiling uh, so those can be rendered by a tool called processstatsdirectory.py, um, which I think will like generate uh, some graphviz files, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, it or or it'll uh, it'll output um, like a table of where. Uh, where the compiler was spending its time, which is especially useful if you're diffing two different contents of the stats directory. Mm-hmm. So say you run it once with compiler version from four months ago, and then you run it again with the current you know, top of development. Uh, it'll compare all the deltas where the compiler is spending more time, less time, et cetera. Yeah, and there are uh, a number of flags here, some of which we've discussed before, the for debug time, compilation, function bodies, uh, expression type checking. Um, and all of these uh, will again output um, all these stats, all these files, and then you can process those uh, as well. Um, there's even uh, Clang stats uh, that you can print um, with the uh, print Clang stats flag. Cool. Um, and a quick look here seems that I I was wrong on the uh, graphviz. It doesn't seem to render anything like that, but it it does print out a, a table. There's some scale tests that were added in here too, mm-hmm. um, which I think loosely is a way to um, pass in some Swift code that is then duplicated or multiplied in some way, mm-hmm. um, and then it tests to see if the compilation performance as you vary the number of times that this is duplicated scales either linearly or uh, quadratically or you know seeing what the relationship there is between scaling and the input and then the goal being to uh, if this is quadratic or even exponential to uh, bring that down to uh, something closer to you know linear logarithmic time or something if possible. Right. Yeah, this seems like a useful ad hoc tool if uh, you suspect that a certain 
part of Swift code is not scaling well, that you can then leverage this tool to actually confirm that mm-hmm. hypothesis. Yeah, and in the intro to this uh, this compiler performance doc, he mentions somewhere that a lot of these things are kind of inherently quadratic, like the way that the compiler works when you're, let's see, what is it, the primary file mode, because you have to read in all these files um, and the way that you're processing all the symbols. And so one of the big goals is to try to uh, make things uh, lazy or try to cut things off uh, sooner, um, like cut off some process um, uh, as quickly as possible if you can end it early um, for whatever reason. Um, and, and those are like some some methods to like basically reduce this quadratic time. Yeah, I, I have seen places in the Swift compiler where um, there are checks for uh, deep recursion and that short circuit. Yeah, yeah. Um, to to basically be early failures, mm-hmm. uh, especially in cases there used to be a lot of those probably in like between Swift one and Swift two days, where um, things that would fail to compile would take a long time to fail to compile. Right, right. Uh, so like would almost send the compiler in infinite loops, mm-hmm. and that was definitely more of an issue with code that didn't compile than code that was you know already uh, compiling. Right. So that that was a huge hit to developer productivity because uh, as you're working on something, try to see if it compiles. You don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> it takes ages to run. Uh, but um, so I think a lot of those short circuit tests have been added uh, in the last few years. Yeah, um, definitely a, a huge help. The next segment here deals with uh, reducing the the quadratic costs. So there's a few areas that apparently have been identified um, or at least uh, confirmed with the scale tests is uh, parts of the Swift compilation process that work on all the declarations in a module and therefore are highly prone to quadratic behavior because they deal with uh, every single declaration that's that's defining your Swift files. And so that that doesn't scale very well. And apparently one of the design goals for uh, the Swift compiler is to be as lazy uh, as possible when it's um, resolving uh, a lot of these declarations. But in practice, it appears that this hasn't always worked as well as intended. So there are a few concrete steps that can be taken here to improve this. Um, One is to focus on each front end so each subsection of the um, the kind of main compiler jobs that are happening to make more constant work. Uh, so by identifying things that should be lazy but aren't and making them lazy. So some of that involves um, doing lazy name lookup, extension binding, member validation. Uh, those are all PRs that have landed recently um, that have stemmed from this work that help make these compiler jobs more linear in behavior. Um, Yeah, there are a number of examples here that uh, he calls out in this email. Some of Graydon's own PRs and then some from Slava as well. And uh, the second strategy that he mentions here is uh, reorganizing how the driver runs these processes. And to kind of batch work in semantic ways, uh, that makes more sense to probably avoid 
duplication or I don't know what other issues. Recalculating uh, the same things in multiple jobs. Sure, sure. Right. Yeah. And there are some other notes here. He links to a few other discussions on the the mailing list. Jordan Rose had an email uh, outlining some of that work as well. Yeah. Taking a step back here, um, this particular part of uh, improvements would help address cases where currently um, if you use whole module optimization builds, but without any of the optimizations turned on Mm -hmm. for some types of projects, you actually get a compilation speed up. Hmm. And that's because um, in whole module optimization mode, you're uh, basically compiling the entirety of all the Swift files in your module all at once. Right. Um, and so it can do, th- it, my impression of this is that it trades off um, things like uh, memory usage. So it'll use more memory because it's kind of compiling everything at once. So it has to hold everything mm-hmm. at once. And it also trades off um, some incremental compilation performance for, uh, uh, for, well, Ideally, in, or the goal here is for it to produce more optimized binaries. But if you turn all the optimizations off, you sometimes get a compilation speed up uh, because it doesn't probably have to recompute a bunch of things because it's just com- compiling everything at once. Right. And then it doesn't run all these optimization passes. Yeah, but that's uh, that's kind of more of a, 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 not a side effect, but that's not directly related to the uh, compilation speed up advantage happening here. Right. It's more that things don't have to be recomputed because everything's being compiled all at once, mm-hmm. even though it's taking up a lot more memory and you lose some of the incremental performance. Um, so if you reorganize the strategy by which the driver runs these front end processes, hopefully you can gain the same advantages as running a whole module optimization debug build uh, while still retaining some of the optimizations or without having to sacrifice incremental performance. Uh, but this mo- whole whole module optimization mode also, it's not just, uh, let's say you have uh, like an app target and then two framework targets. Uh, doesn't it treat everything as a single module? No. Uh, it's just individually. So you still have the the three individual modules and then... It just, instead of compiling one file at a time, it'll compile all files all at once. Right. Per module. Per module, yeah. yeah. It doesn't It doesn't mix modules. Okay. I thought I had read something about that in the past, but maybe not. Maybe it was just this. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was ever a compilation mode in which more than one module was being compiled at once. Okay. Well, un- unless it's happening in parallel, but then they're happening orthogonally. Sure, sure. The results of one don't affect the results of another. Right. And the uh, final section here uh, that Graydon calls out is uh, improving incremental mode, uh, which we've kind of just discussed a little bit. But again, this is uh, a lot of the, um, this logic is in uh, the driver for how uh, incremental compilation works. And the goal here is to, you know, reduce the number of times that a file is rebuilt uh, when it, quote, doesn't need to be. 
which I think in the early days, this was happening quite often. And he kind of calls out a few areas where this is still happening uh, today. And the the compiler errors on the side of doing too much work right now is what he kind of calls out. Yeah, it's it's annoying if the if incremental compilation takes longer than you'd want, but it's outright catastrophic if you make a change and it isn't recompiled. Yeah. Right? That would be very dangerous. Right. Um, right. You can imagine, you know, you make your your fix and you ship straight to the app store and <laughs> you expect it to work, but because of incremental compilation being... Uh, erring on the side of doing less work rather than too much, right. uh, then you, you ship the wrong binary, right? Yeah. You would never want that. So this seems like, you know, the the algorithm or the calculations that happen to determine, okay, well, what files depend on the change that you just made since the last compilation? It's probably errors on the side of doing more work than less. And so having more fine grain uh, dependency graph uh, representation of even statically, uh, what code depends on what would probably allow um, recompiling less. One strategy I think the community has taken with regard to this is uh, splitting up their code into as many modules as possible to try to avoid um, this recompilation cost, Mm -hmm. uh, this rebuilding cost. If you don't change anything in a certain module, then... Hopefully it won't be recompiled um, accidentally. Uh, You can reduce that risk a little bit. Yeah. One downside of taking that approach, though, is that uh, if you needlessly split up a module into too many submodules, then maybe you're you're then forced to expose some internal uh, APIs to public so that they can be consumed by other modules. And you also lose out on some uh, single module optimizations. Exactly. uh, Where, say, you're exposing generic methods, then you you can't know as much about how they're being specialized if they're only being used by a single other consumer. Right, exactly. Uh, And then uh, another thing is if most of your members are internal to that module, other optimizations can happen. Um, Things can be, like, finalized if you know that they're not being uh, subclassed outside of that module and you know that they're not within it either. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a trade-off. Yeah, the solution there is to uh, fix compiler comp- uh, compilation performance uh, right. rather than to get folks to, to perform workarounds like whole module debug builds. Right. Right. or um, splitting your modules into multiple submodules. Well, I think uh, we'll end the discussion there on compiler performance. Uh, we'll have all the links in the show notes so you can check out uh, the email and other resources. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at jesse underscore squires and the show at swift underscore unwrapped. You can find me on Twitter at simjp. Uh, if you have time, please leave a review up on iTunes and join the conversation at spectrum.chat. Thanks for listening.